welcome to the Cork Church Podcast. We are so glad that you are joining us today. We hope this message inspires you, builds your faith, and encourages you in the things of the Lord. Enjoy the message. Well, good morning. Uh, Thank you. Wonderful to be here, as always. It's always as fresh and we always feel those 250 kilometers down the road fly by when we're coming down. It's a bit slower when we're heading back. We stop at exit eight for a quick latte, and uh, we're here. Wonderful to be here. You know, I was just thinking, uh, I meet people, you meet people, the airs are full of people who dismiss Jesus, dismiss God, it's growing. But you know, those voices, those philosophies, they're scraping the bottom of the barrel, really. They're getting more and more ridiculous. There was a, 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 some of them are very intelligent. There's a British uh, writer, an English writer. He's an atheist. Uh, He's quite a clever writer. And he wrote a a year or two ago, and he said, I was at a, 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 I think it was a christening or a wedding, something that was held in a church. And he came away and he wrote this. It was in an article he wrote and he said, I don't believe in God, pause, but I miss him. And you know, (laughs) we don't miss him. We don't have to miss him. He's here. And there's a a couple of hundred people and you guys online. That's enough for me to know he's, he's true, he's real. And the witness in my heart. If you have your your Bibles with you, and you may have migrated to a tablet or a phone, that's fine. I, when I travel, I bring my tablet and my phone. But actually, there's something about a book, and you can see the whole chapter, and I don't have to scroll down. That's just me, okay. But, but, but whatever, yes, that's right. So Nick has his uh, large print screen in front of him. That's good. We're going we're to have a, a bit of a journey today. We're going to be moving, and, and, and I hope you'll come with me in this and the Lord will help us. We're going to turn to the book of Joshua, and we're going to turn to Joshua 24. Joshua's coming towards the end of his life. Some commentators say that he actually unexpectedly lived this long. He was 110, which in that time of of the history of the earth was not terribly old, but it was pretty old, and he's concluding his life, and he's bringing a final word to the people, at least the Lord is, through him. And I'm going to just pick one verse because we're going to land here, go through a timeline back, and then we're going to come and we're going to end here. So Joshua 24, verse 15. Joshua is speaking after a great prophetic word has been delivered to the church in the, in the, in the promised land, uh, the children of Israel. And he says this, And if it seems disagreeable to you to serve the Lord? Will you choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve? Whether the gods which your fathers served that were on the other side of the Euphrates, there were a huge amount of gods on that side of the river. Maybe you've crossed a river and back there there were a lot of gods. Well, sometimes they linger around. And choose or whether the gods of the Amorites who were there in the promised land where they were, amazingly, in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, 
we will serve the Lord. You know, standing on the, on the cusp of another year, I think it's still relevant. There's a universal custom of New Year's resolutions. And it really shows and demonstrates that most people want to restart. Most people want a change. Most people want to prove. Most people want to set things in motion. You know, so what, what's, what's this the year of <laughs> for you and I? Uh, that's what came to me a few days ago as I was thinking and praying of this, this time that I have to share with you. You know, this year in China, it's the year of the rabbit. I don't know what that means. I've been to China a lot. I don't know what. They always have the year of the goat, the year of this year is the year of the rabbit. One year I was there was the year of the rat. Anyway, but what, uh, we've had books, you know, the year of the French, the year of the hiker, the year of living dangerously. But whatever resolution may lie on your heart, it probably needs to be the year of decision. Because I looked up resolution, it simply says, a firm decision to do or not to do something. You know, even in less than conducive circumstances. The Apostle Paul, he was, he was a decision maker. And uh, consider where he was towards the end of his life. He's a captive imprisoned in a Roman prison with a 24-hour guard chained to him. He, he, he has the prospect of execution hanging over him. He, he, has, he could have had a degree of disappointment in his life because he wrote earlier in the book of Romans, he said, I want to come to you and preach. He wanted to come to Rome as a preacher. He came to Rome as a prisoner. Maybe things have not exactly turned out the way you would have expected. He, he, we also, we see that there were some believers at Rome were divided and some were even against him. Yet in spite of all of this, he says something. He made a decision. In spite of the circumstances, in spite of the prevailing conditions, he said, I've decided to press on. I've decided to lay hold of that which Christ Jesus has by his grace laid hold of me. I have decided to reach forward to those things that are ahead, 2023. I press toward the goal, the summit for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. What a decision. You know, we've, we've already made decisions today, haven't we? Pretty ordinary decisions. I decided to, you decided to come here. Hallelujah. The Lord will honor that. Uh, uh, we decided to, uh, I don't know, things. You know, we decided to get in the car and come down at a certain time. We make decisions, but there are some key decisions. There are some key decisions. At the beginning of the 20th century, Britain, Great Britain as it was there, participated in really a competition to be the first to reach the North and the South Poles. But alas, without success, they were just beaten to the north by a man called Robert Perry, a U.S. naval officer. He got there in 1909. I was brought up, my father, my brother, they loved the explorers. I, I was brought up on this. And then when the black and white films came out, we went. Scott of the Antarctic. But dear Sir Robert Falcon Scott, he was beaten to the South Pole. A Norwegian, uh, Ronald Amundsen, beat him to it. You know, we passed the Keys today and there was a smallish ship there moored and it was called Tom Crean. <laughs> and you know, Tom Crean was with Sir Robert Scott. Sir Robert Scott perished in the Antarctic. Tom Crean, mighty man, a, a Kerry man, 
near Dingle. He made it back. He did heroic things. He carried men on his back. And, and he, he made it back to Dingle. Uh, he got married. He opened a tavern. And it's still there. It's called the South Pole. But anyway, the, the British really failed to get there. World War I, Spanish flu. And then the early 1920s, there was a desire amongst those, those people in Britain, the, the, the explorers, the establishment, that they wanted to restore national prestige. And so they decided to lead an expedition to try to conquer the third pole. The third pole was the highest mountain in the world, 29,000 feet high, Mount Everest. Ruth and I were, were, were out there in Nepal one time years ago. We were helping to build a, a, a leprosy hospital. And one day they came in. In fact, I think Ruth went, went another time. I was on my own then. And Ruth saw the same. They got us up about four in the morning. I said, where are you bringing us? Oh, I'm tired. Anyway, we went and, we, and they parked and, and they waited for the sunrise to hit Mount Everest, and there was like a great white, it was shaped like a narrow, 29,000 feet, and I stood in awe, and I worshipped him. I said, this is your creation. Well, anyway, there it was, and in 1924, they had three, uh, two primarily primary expeditions, and a third expedition to go and conquer Mount Everest, and they pressed on against the elements, the avalanches, the blizzards, the cold, and they camped within 2,000 feet of the surface, of the summit. <laughs> there they were. And they decided the weather was okay. And two men, they picked two men because that's <coughs> all they had the oxygen for was for two men to head up those last 2,000 feet to the summit. One was a man called George Mallory. Uh, he had been a hero in World War I. Uh, uh, by all accounts, quite a character, a mountaineer, an adventurer. He was the one when asked by a reporter why he wanted to climb Everest, he famously replied, because it's there. And then he took a younger man, 22-year-old, he was a uh, Sandy Irvine, he was an engineer, but as strong as an ox, and they decided to press on, fully expecting to return within about 18 hours. But sadly, they never returned. The blizzard came, the, the, uh, whatever happened to them. But the last sighting of the pair was 250 meters from the summit as they had the telescope on them. That's the last time they saw them. Whether they reached the summit before they died, it's still debated. But here's the thing. Here's the reason why I'm telling you that tale. The official record of their disappearing simply said this. When last seen, they were heading toward the summit. Now, Pastor Nick has referred twice, once to me and once up here to his father, Nick Cassidy Sr. You know, when I saw him, the last time I saw him, he was still heading for the summit. He was in his room in a hospital, and we had a wonderful time. He actually, he telephoned me five days later, wondering how I was. I said, well, how are you? I said, I'm fine. But he, he was heading home. But he... he he knew what it was. And that's my last recollection of Nick Sr. He was a man still pressing towards the summit. Joshua at 110 years, he's still pressing towards the summit. He's still making decisions, as we read. And by the way, at the, at the graveside that Ruth and I were privileged to be with after the funeral service, and, and Pastor Nick was there. And I always remember this. I, I don't know, I never asked him, but I think it was spontaneously. He sang pressing on. 
pressing on. It wasn't a Charles Wesley song. It wasn't an Isaac Watts song. It was a Bob Dylan song from his album called Saved. 1980, he brought it out. I'd just become a Christian while I'd been a Christian about six years. And I had this man, what, a, what an album. But anyway, pressing on to the higher calling of my Lord. Joshua had a similar spirit. Now, we've seen him in, in Joshua 24, about 110 years of age. Uh, and just follow the timeline. We're going back to when he was about 85, 25 years back. Something happened in his life as a result of decisions he made about 40 years earlier when he was in his mid-40s, probably the equivalent of us being about 28 or so today, and in the prime of his life. That's the timeline. You are not here because of decision you made just this morning. You're here because of history, his story in you. And we're here. And this year we're going in. This is a year of decision. It's a year of decision for me, for you. There will be some things the Holy Spirit will bring to you and say, I have decided and we're going to see, we, we have this wonderful book, and there are things we can glean from it here this morning, even in chapter 24 of Joshua. But before we get there, just think of this wonderful story, great panoramic story of our story, taking a nation, maybe three and a half million people, including children, out of bondage, out of slavery, out of 400 years of, well, it's just the same old thing. He, they were delivered out but they were also brought in. And God used two men, Moses, to bring them out, and he chose another man, Joshua, to bring them in. We've only needed one man. The man Christ Jesus, he brought me out. He revealed himself to me, showed me I was alienated to things of God, etc., etc. And then, hallelujah, he brought me in. Interestingly, how he brought these people in. So this this. Both of them made key decisions which prepared them for those occasions. Moses spent 40 years in the backside of a desert, but he made decisions when he was there. He made decisions to turn and have a look at the burning bush rather than say, oh, it's just a bit of a fire in the bush. It must be hot or something. No, we make decisions that will lead us somewhere. Joshua means God saves. Yahweh is salvation. And so the book of Joshua is a book about God saving. He saved that nation, and he brought them into a new land. And around the age, so we've seen him at 110, coming towards the end. Let's go back a bit to when he was 85. And if you turn to it's twice recorded in the Bible, but we'll look at the shorter version in Deuteronomy 31. It's just a few pages back, depending on how big your print is. And it says in Deuteronomy 31, and, and I just have time to land on just one or two verses. Read the chapter. If, if this is something the Holy Spirit will speak to you about, it, read the chapter. Get the whole color, the whole picture. But it says here in verse 22, Therefore Moses wrote this song the same day. He was a songwriter. You can read that in chapter 32. And taught it to the children of Israel. Then he inaugurated that's a capital H. God inaugurated. You get a fuller picture in, in, in Numbers 27, all that happened. He inaugurated. What does that mean? Well, he, he, he gave him a charge. He appointed him and said, be strong and of good courage, for you shall bring the children of Israel into the land of which I swore to them, and I will be with you. 
wonderful to reach that point that you have a charge, a commission, a sense that God is going to use me. But hang on a minute. He only came to here because he made certain decisions back when he wasn't so famous, when he was maybe not so noticed. And around 40 years earlier, this is over here, remember, 110, 85, 40. He's about, he's about 45 years of age. Within an 18-month period, approximately, he made four decisions that ultimately led him to this place where he was ready and prepared for the journey of a lifetime. His decision prepared him for what was ahead. And so will some of the decisions we make this year. Oh, scary. No, just be sure you're in touch with him. Be sure you, well, we'll see what Joshua did. So in chronological order, each of these you can spend an hour on. I'm just going to boom, 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 boom. But brought him to a place that obviously at this stage in the history of the children of Israel, God said to Moses, right, we're going to inaugurate him because you, Moses, you're going home to me soon, okay? So the first thing, and you find it, you can make note or you can hear whatever you like. I'll just give you the chapter and then explain what I was. Numbers 13 and 14, two chapters. And you know this story. They're in the wilderness. They've just come in. And 12 spies are commissioned to go out. 12 come back. Two have a good report of the land. And 10 have a bad report of the land. Joshua decided to trust in the promises of God. He saw the enemy. He saw the giants that were in the way, but he wanted to press on. He and Caleb, they didn't minimize the strength or the numbers of the foe, but instead they looked to the promise that God had pledged to a covenant with Abraham that they had a copy of somewhere or had been verbally given to them. And he says, his testimony is, the Lord is with us, don't fear them. And the other 10 spies, they opposed them, they wanted to turn back, they wanted to kill Caleb and Joshua, and it says the glory of the Lord saved them. So some of you may have to make that decision to trust in the promises of God. There are over, uh, over 7,000, I believe, promises of God in this book. But he has promised to take us out and bring us in. Wherever you're in at the moment and you want it taken out, he can do that. And he brings you into the land of new birth. Can, we, can I say this? The land of new birth. Of course, it isn't a place. It's a person. It's in the spirit, but it's still the picture of this. It's a land. The second decision he made was within this 18-month period was in Exodus chapter 17. And it just says the Amalek fought Israel. The Amalek were a pain in the neck. The Amalek were always hanging around and, and, and bothering them, right? So they came and they fought Israel. And Moses said to Joshua, I mean, I think Joshua, maybe I would get up the mountain with Aaron and her and hold up the hands and have a great prayer meeting. No, will you go down and fight them? And maybe he just wanted to. No, I, I'm terrified. I want to go up. But he decided to submit and not get offended. He chose to obey a fight. And he said, I'm going to take offense out of this. And that'll happen. There's training. There's, there's, there, there's time. And the Lord will bless you through every stage of our lives. And of course, the victory was decided by an unseen battle in the heavenlies and the authority that was on the mountaintop. But someone had to be down in the valley handling the sword. 
third decision he made. He decided to follow the anointing. He decided to follow that what he, God showed him was what he, 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 he was going to reveal himself to him. And his hunger for God was greater than the disappointment of being left in the clouds. All right? You, you following the Lord sometimes, oh, well, everyone seems so clear. I'm a bit fuzzier. That's all right. Don't be, keep on trusting him. And in, in, in Exodus 24, Moses takes Joshua up the mountain and the glory of the Lord was up beyond the cloud. There was a cloud probably halfway up the mountain. And they, they go into the mountain, they go into the cloud, the two of them, for about five or six days as you read the chapter. And then Moses, God calls Moses on. And Joshua's still in the clouds. And apparently, I don't read contrary, it's, he was the first person to meet Moses coming down. So he must have stayed in the cloud for 40 days. Sometimes we have to hang in, folks, to where we are. Vision will come. Clarity will come. Trust yourself in his hands. You know, I meet people, you meet people, and I say, oh, the Lord hasn't done this, and I don't understand. Hang on in the clouds. He will come down. And he remained there. And, and you see, things remained veiled for Joseph. But he st- sorry, for Joshua, but he still remained in the clouds. He still remained, and he didn't touch the glory before his time. He knew his place and the timing and the goodness of God. And then the last thing that we read in that 18-month period, when he's out here, before he's getting up to here, before he's getting here, he's here. He made this other decision. He was a young man. He made these decisions. And he decided to expand his capacity an appetite for the presence of the Lord. You must think, oh, that, that's, that's incredible. That's profound. That takes time. That takes courage. That takes conviction. That takes vision. That takes the Holy Spirit in you. It says in Exodus 33, uh, Moses took his tent. I don't know why he did this, but he pitched it far outside the camp and he called it the tabernacle of the meetings. It wasn't the main tabernacle, which was in the center of the camp with the Ark of the Covenant. This was Moses' tabernacle of the meeting and anyone seeking God went out to it. We don't read of many going out. Moses went out. The, the, the Shekinah glory came down. He got the answers and people were content just to view it from their, it says the door of their tent. Uh, Moses will get the answer for us. Ah, yeah. How's the dinner there, darling? Uh, how the, no, right? But it reads of Joshua. This is a wonderful verse, 33:11, Exodus. Joshua, a young man, did not depart from the tabernacle. Even Moses went back. It says he stayed there. He cultivated and absorbed the presence of God. He learned not to allow the distractions to captivate his, his focus and quench his hunger for what was there. He caught sight of something that was greater than distractions and inconveniences. That's why we read the, That's why I read this book. It keeps my vision. It, 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 ex, it expands. Some come to meetings, enjoy the presence of the Lord. Hallelujah. So 40 years later, he's here. Uh, uh, he's given the charge. Sometime later, Moses died. He did a small funeral. It was only himself and God. Uh, that's, that's good enough for me, although I hope my wife will be there and 
And anyway, but you know, and, and, and God says to Joshua, arise, go to the land which I'm giving you. Our circumstances can change suddenly. A phone call, an opening, and, and you realize, oh, I'm ready for this. I wasn't ready a year ago. I wasn't ready 40 years ago, but I made decisions along the way, the year of decision. And so we come to 24, and I'm on song here, where he comes to 24, and 24, chapter 24 of Joshua contains something of a roadmap for us in this regard, of making decisions and pressing on. So, 40... Uh, They've been in, they, they, they crossed over, we'll talk a bit about that. They've come out of the wilderness 25 years earlier, and, and they spent about 13 years fighting the enemy, sorting them out, and the last 12 years kind of uh, uh, finding, finding the, the areas of territory for the various tribes. And here he is, Joshua, 110, his work is gone, and yet as we read at the beginning of this, he is still gathering the people together and making a decision. Verse 1 of 24. Then Joshua gathered all the tribes of Israel to Shechem. Remember that name? Shechem. And called for the elders of Israel, for their heads, for their judges, and for their officers. And they presented themselves before God. Imagine this for a moment. Just imagine that. He's making sure everyone and all, all, all the representations of the people are there. Shechem was a location of deep and significance in their history. The Hebrew here means they, they gathered specifically before his face. This is personal. This is holy ground presented themselves. My eye caught that word. I looked it up. It literally means to place yourself as if you are going to stay. Hmm. I'm intentional. This is not casual. This is not coming in and out. Oh, I go to church on Sunday. And that, no, this, he, he, he's moved into this place and he's, he wants to move these people into that place. Some of the geographical locations that Israel found once they came into the promised land as I said, are very important. And they can help us and describe to us in great visual form the land of new birth, the inheritance that we've come into. And they can illustrate even different seasons in our lives as a newborn creature. Not necessarily consecutively, but concurrently. So one of the first places they came to, we're going to quickly look at three. I won't have time to read all of this chapter, and we'll come to an end in one of the verses towards the end of it. But these, you may, I, I pray this, you will identify with some of this. You, you will glean encouragement for some of these things. Vision to press on into this year, and if necessary, make some decisions. When they crossed over, they came to Gilgal, just a, a few miles northeast of Jericho. But Gilgal was the first place they came to. It's mentioned in Joshua 4. It was the military headquarters of the invasion. Supplies were replenished. There were strategies formed. It was, it was all things military initially. But there's something symbolically more important with Gilgal. Because after descending into the banks of the Jordan River 
and crossing over and the bank and rising up again on the other side. They came to Gilgal. They came into their promised possession, the promised land. Gilgal symbolizes the place of spiritual resurrection. You know, interesting enough, the Red Sea dried up to their father's generation. And they went over into, it was only supposed to be about the three-week journey into the Promised Land, but for various reasons it was 40 years. When they crossed over from the wilderness into the Promised Land, Jordan dried up. Priests went in, carried the presence of the ark, the presence of the Lord in the ark, the water went back, they put memorial stones. This is significant. What I just want to say to you, it was a baptism without water. You know, which baptism do you prioritize? Our, this is our spiritual position. If you, if you study the Bible, some commentators will, will, will parallel the book of Ephesians with the book of Joshua. It's, in, it, it, it's interesting. And so we read something about this baptism and this going down into, if you like, into, into, into death and rising again. And Gilgal symbolizes resurrection. But God, who is rich in mercy even when we were dead in sins, made us alive together with Christ and raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That's not when we die and go to heaven. That's when you come through and I'm in. I'm in. The Amorites are still hanging around. There's still decisions to make. I'm in. I'm seated with Christ in the heavenly places this morning. It's a whole world to explore. New birth opens a door. Ah, what a door, what a land, what a sky, what mountains, what territory. The world changed forever when Jesus Christ died and rose again and sent the Holy Spirit. For until we know Jesus, God is merely a concept, an, an idol, an opinion, an idea, a vague entity. Even among some Christians, they, they still haven't, Come right in. Gilgal's the place of resurrection. was also a place of remembrance. There were memorial stones. So frequently this year, just remind ourselves. And as we come here, this is the place where the cross of Christ is preached. The resurrection life is... Keep reminding ourselves. Paul says, remember. Remember when you break bread. Remember. Now, Gilgal also, ironically, was a place that they were under pressure from surrounding enemies who didn't want them there. You have an enemy of your soul. The last thing he wants you to do is to experience the resurrection life of Jesus in you. And again, Ephesians says, listen, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. Sometimes it is only flesh and blood. So don't be saying that the devil's everywhere. Sometimes it is only flesh and blood. But he said, and he gives four levels of opposition. Wow. <laughs> you know, principality, powers, rulers of darkness of this age against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Oh, what am I to do? Just take up the whole armor of God. Who's the whole armor of God? Jesus Christ. Put on Christ. Withstand him in the evil day. And then he says that you're having done all, stand. Stand therefore. 
etc., etc. So Gilgal is in your life is also a place, resurrection, remembering, and responsibility to do what? Stand. I'm standing on the promises of Christ. Mike, just stand sometimes. Yes, lift up that shield of faith. Use that word of God as a sword. It was also a place, all these places are amazing. I'm flying through them. But this, finally, there's another R here, recovery. It was a place of recovery. Maybe you've, you've to make a decision this year to recover some things that you've lost or that have been absorbed, that you've slightly drifted away from, and you have to recalibrate the compass. Where's my North Star? There it is. It could be simply, I'm going to be diligent to go to as many meetings as I can. Not because of law, but because of a, a sense of urgency, a sense of hunger in my heart. All right? A recovery. And, and, and they recovered things here. The Passover was renewed at Gilgal. Uh, they, they, they renewed the, the Abrahamic covenant. And circumcision was reinstated and compiled with. I'm sure the men were delighted. But anyway, for us, this is an inward separation. It's a circumcision of the heart that we cut off. It, it, to cut off, it takes on a new meaning. And you can ask, you can come and pray, I want this cut off. I've carried it in. I've carried it too long. Cut it off. That's why consecration, words like consecration, sanctification, will take on a whole new meaning. If you don't understand those words, find what they mean. The next place, Shiloh. Shiloh. They moved from Gilgal, Shiloh. That was a pivot of spiritual life, and it speaks above all of his presence. Let's expect his presence in deeper ways this year. Let's make, oh Lord, I, I am deciding. I really want it. I hear people talk about this. I just want to wait upon you. Put aside time to, to, to put other things, whatever way it is with you, find your presence. How I can be sustained by your life that's always fresh in my mind, spiritually. You know, prayer moves God, and prayer brings a manifestation of God's presence. Thank you, folk, who gathered at 10, between 10 and 11, and prayed and enabled us to worship him. Prayer brings a manifestation of God's presence. We could say a lot more about that, but I want to move on to now we've come to this third place, Shechem. Now, there were other places. I've just picked these ones. And here we are, chapter 24, one. they're at Shechem. Shechem was, in many ways, the political cradle of the nation. It was where Abraham first received the promises that God would give his descendants the land of Canaan. He didn't think that he'd have to wait that long. <laughs> but the, God's promises are precise, and they'll always come right in the right time. Joshua had earlier, he built an altar here, maybe in an expectation. We stand on not the promises of Abraham, although we can see our inheritance in them, but we stand on the promises that are in Christ. Yeah, the Bible contains more than 7,000 promises from God. Why? Because he wants us to learn. We can trust him. Oh, it's been years, Lord, since I prayed and I felt trust him. Shechem also was situated at the, at the mouth of a valley. It was, in a, it was in the valley floor, and the mountainous contours resulted in a natural amphification, amphitheater, sorry, where there was great, great acoustics. 
so words could travel. So Joshua, an old man, he didn't have to raise his voice too much. It could travel. And maybe those other people passed it on, on down through the valley. What I'm thinking here is for this year, hear his voice this coming year. Hear the amplification of his voice. Take note of it. Harden not your heart when you hear his voice. Because it might not always be, oh, you're such a nice fellow. I'm going to... No, it may be, son. You need to do this. You need Harden not your heart when you hear his voice. But remember, there's always... It's always in the direction of glory, of abundance, of freedom, of joy. So it was from here that Joshua, and if you see from 24 uh, uh, verse 2, he, he, it was prophecy. He prophesied for the last time. And maybe this is a year that not only you hear his voice, that it will have a prophetic impact in your life. He who abides within you, the Holy Spirit does this from time to time. You hear something and then he adds something to it that has an edge to it. And you know, that's a prophetic word for me personally. Don't neglect this. Resolve to keep gathering it together. And so we're coming towards the end here, or really the beginning. From verse 2 to verse 13. God reviews the nation's history. And sometimes the end of a year, beginning of a year, it's good to review your history. Not nostalgically, not say, oh, for the good old days. No, for the new days to come, the new dawnings to come, the new light to come, the new revelation to come. But those days can teach us goodness, mercy, followed me all the way up to here. Last year, that's our testimony, Ruth and I, goodness. Mercy. Uh, at the time, we weren't sure if it was there, but it, it, it was there. We've come to the year and said, thank you, Lord. And so he reviews their, their history. And what a review. He clarifies his plan, his rescue, his salvation, Jehovah's deliverance, victory, provision, protection, possession, all in these verses, in this slightly obscure chapter away back in the book of Joshua. But every page, every chapter in the Bible is something for us. Even the lists of names, if you take the time. This book is fantastic. Maybe you have to make a decision. I'm finally going to get around to read this book. Not just the odd bless me verse. There's plenty of those. But get hold of a chapter. Get hold of a book. Say next year, some of you, you younger Christians, come, and maybe some older Christians, and you come back. I have really found wealth in the Gospel of John. In fact, I can quote some verses. Do you want to hear it? Yes, please. I can quote half of chapter one, wonderful. I met a man, a young man last year, and he told me he, he had learned the first chapter of John. It put me to shame. Anyway, <laughs> we're not finished yet. We're just there. So those, those, what is it? 11 verses, two to 13, well worth, well worth reading and thinking and praying about. That's a review of their history. It could be, hopefully, it's a review of your history. If you're born again and filled with the Spirit, it'll, yes, Lord, yes, Lord, you did this. Yes, Lord, yes, you did this. And so we come to the response in verse 14. Now, therefore, and there's just four, boom, 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 boom. In view of this, continue on in this slightly Old Testament, slightly Old Covenant. We bring in the, always keep in view the covenant 
of grace, the new covenant. In fact, it's referred to in verse 13 when he says, I have. I mean, this, these verses are full of I brought, I, I did it, I gave you, I destroyed, I delivered you, I, I, I sent hornets before you. And then in verse 13, I have. This is God. This is new covenant. I have done it for you. Stop trying to do it. Yeah, we make decisions. And we'll finish off on this. Why we make decisions. We're not able to transform ourselves. He does it. And then he says in verse 13, I had given you a land for which you did not labor and cities, and cities which you did not build and dwell in them. And you eat of the vineyards and olive groves which you did not plant. A description of the kingdom of God here on earth in our hearts, in our spirits, in our environment. And then he says first, fear God. Be in awe of him. Uh, I have a friend. He's retired early. He made so much money in England. He supports some works that we're involved in. He, we visited him in the church there uh, uh, in the autumn. And we stayed in his house, nice house. And he has a place in the garden. Uh, and he made it himself, even though he's, he's a consultant. He's in, in Downing Street. He's in the, uh, the National Health. Get him in. He's a He's a very humble man, only 49, 50. And, and, and he has this place, this shed. And from his house, he can press a button on the roof. who goes back and has this incredible telescope, all linked up to his five, four screens there. And he explores the universe. It's his hobby. And he was showing me things, showing me new things. I said, what? Oh, he said, he, he was explaining how far they are away. And I said, my, I, I said, it's far. He said, it's far. And I said, Francis, what happens when you, when you look at these? Oh, he said, I just fall on my knees and worship. That's something like what the fear of the Lord is. It's an awe of him. And nothing so influences this reverential affection for him as a sense of his sheer goodness and the extent of it. Yes, there's intimacy, there's friendship along the way, but there's also a place to fear the Lord. Second thing he says in verse 40, put away. Wow. Don't hang on to relics of idolatry and influences from the past. Put away. If you want to see more of that, read what Stephen said in his, in his last sermon on earth to the Sanhedrin in, in chapter 7 of Acts. He refers to this and he names some of the gods they were still hanging on to, even at this stage in their life. And there are some things that we still are. That that's all right. I still have a bit of... Have a look at that. God will continue, uh, will forgive me. Yes, he will, but you're forfeiting another year. Put things away. He will give you the grace and the ability to do it. Thirdly, he said, serve the Lord. Oh, serve. Do I, no, serve the Lord's important. In chapter 24, it says 19 times serve the Lord. But it really means, in the Hebrew, doing something in a spirit of worship. He will supply that within you. And there's a clear association between what and who we serve and who we worship. And the connotation here is not one of burdensome labor, oh, it's a chore. No, it's a joy to serve. And then we come to verse 14, and he says, choose you this day. Choose you this day. And if some of these things seem disagreeable, well, I'm going to serve the Lord. You need to maybe wander around the wilderness for a little bit more. But of course, he doesn't want that for any of us. We've been created with the ability to reach out beyond our grasp. But our will is instrumental in this. That's why the decision is so important. That's why, as I said earlier, 
We cannot transform ourselves by resolutions, by willpower, by disciplines, by rituals. Oh, it's the same old year, same old, yeah, I'm going to give up this, I'm going to do that, and you don't. But we can make a decision to be transformed. We can make a decision to make us available to God, like Moses, like Joshua did, like many of our, our forefathers in the faith did. The gospel reveals that God himself transforms us if we receive his grace and life and yield to him. So this year, as it goes by and passes into next year, and when people remember you in this year, or they see you, or they hear about you, as they reflect on the year, will it stir something like what they said of Mallory and Irvine? Ah, yes. The last time I saw them, they're heading, they were heading towards the summit. I don't mean you're going to die <laughs> this year, but uh, the recollection of you, their memory, when they meet you, there's a man, there's a woman, she's still heading towards the summit, treading, pressing towards the goal of the upward call. Experience shows that decision is important. Choose you this day whom you will serve. I want to press on into this land, this land of new birth, and discover more riches of his glory and grace this year. Shall we pray together? And then I'll pass back to Pastor Nick. Lord, I feel challenged in my own heart. I feel challenged in my own heart. I feel challenged by the one who loves me. I feel challenged by the one who's calling and saying, come on. There's another bit of the summit to get over this year. Lord, I want to go. There was a time I hesitated. And Lord, I pray you'll take fear out of any heart today about what these sort of commitments mean, that you will give us new vision. Some, some here today, Lord, they need a vision of the kingdom and the king. Lord, so many other things have come in and caused people to drift. Lord, may this be a recalibrating of the compass again. And we decide, I have decided to follow Jesus, no turning back. And by your grace, Lord, we pray. Thank you for all here, all online, whether sick, sad, happy, expectant, bored. Lord, will you come and shatter the glass ceilings, Lord, that we put over us, Lord, and open up these Mount Everest that, that are there in the Spirit, Lord, that we may take hold of something that you've already taken hold of us for in our time, in our day, Lord. We just bless you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for tuning in with us today. Make sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Cork Church. Also, make sure to like and subscribe to our YouTube channel. If you have any questions at all, you can email us info at corkchurch.com or just check out our website www.corkchurch.com. Again, thank you for tuning in and see you next time. God bless.